So we were in the car and off down the motorway to Sheffield. I don't need fancy holidays on Lake Como uh, to cruise the Greek islands or see the pyramids. Because I watched Threads when I was three and nothing else has mattered since. My husband was driving and I was in the back seat with our dog, T-Bomb. We were getting him acclimatised to his new travelling harness, so we agreed that I'd go in the back with him, but after an hour or so of lounging in the back seat, I thought I could get used to this, being chauffeured to Sheffield. And so I stayed there for the whole journey. Same on the way back. It's about five hours from our home in Glasgow down to Sheffield. So we broke the journey for a rest, stopping at the motorway services at Southwaite. This allowed Bomba to stretch his wee legs and David could pop into Marks and Spencer's to get some flaky sausage rolls and prawn cocktail crisps. After our picnic in the car, we walked Bomba up and down a straggly patch of grass at the edge of the car park. David did his duty and got the poo bags out to scoop up Bomba's mess and as he walked off to the bin, leaving me and Bomba alone on a high ridge of grass looking down on the M6, we watched the cars rush by but I don't like to dwell too closely on that as sometimes it threatens to bring on a touch of panic in my chest. So I was about to turn away when I saw some police vans come charging up the motorway heading north. Oh no, what's this? I thought, are they chasing someone? The police went past, followed by some dull green lorries, and then more police. So I think this might have been, or must have been, a nuclear convoy heading up to Faz Lane. There's no need to panic, of course, at seeing such a sight. We all know that they're out there on British roads. We have to get up to Faz Lane somehow, of course. It just seemed like a strange thing to see when I was on my way to Sheffield uh, to visit the Threads filming locations. And of course, it was unsettling to see it, given the state of tension just now with Russia. It was unpleasant to be reminded that those things are on the move. So close, in fact, that they're roaring right under my nose as I eat my Marks and Spencer motorway picnic. The convoy quickly vanished and the motorway was normal again, filled with Clios and Corsas and caravans. And I stood up there on the windy ridge with Bomba's lead wrapped tight round my hand and wondered, did I just see some nukes go by? We all know they exist and yet their presence on a sunny day at a service station was still a shock to me. But back on the road to Sheffield. Finally, I'd get to visit the city where Threads was set and we were going to find all the filming locations. Even though, as you'll hear, I got one of them wrong and ran about like an idiot, taking photos of the wrong thing. Doesn't sound like much of a holiday, of course, but we had compromised by booking a place to stay on the outskirts of the city, touching the Peak District. So that meant we could retreat from the city each evening to some peace and fresh air and Bomba could get some good walkies in. But the highlight of the trip was surely going to be the Sunday evening, where we would visit the Nottingham House pub, Jimmy and Ruth's pub in the film, to meet up with some podcast listeners. I put out an invite to all my podcast patrons to meet me there, and we'd drink in Ruth and Jimmy's pub, talk about threads, 
and I'd record some of our chats and present it to you here as a podcast. And so here we are. So the next three episodes will be from Sheffield, and they'll pop up in your pod feeds over the next three days. I'll present it to you as a mix of our Sheffield travels, interspersed with conversations from the pub. I've decided to cut and mix it that way so that your ears aren't subject to a whole lengthy segment straight from the boozer, as it was quite noisy there and Bomba was sitting in the midst of us all, knocking pints over. So let's go to Sheffield. I'd like to tell you that we wasted not one single second and that as soon as we arrived in the city, we found our accommodation, we dumped our luggage and we headed straight back out to track down every trace of threads. But we didn't. We were tired. The first thing I did on arrival, and frankly the only thing I cared about after five hours in the car, was to consult Google Maps to find the nearest supermarket so that I could send David out for tea bags, radox and shepherd's pies. Three essentials after a long car journey. So it was next morning, um, nicely fed, bathed and rested, that we clipped Bomba's lead on and set off into the city. I had all the filming locations laid out on a map and I had plotted a route for the first day. We were staying in a village to the south of Sheffield called Holmesfield, Indeed, all my podcast patrons who were sent a postcard from Sheffield, well, it was actually sent from the nearby Dronfield Post Office, which uh, technically is in Derbyshire. So I hope no one minded a Sheffield postcard with a Derbyshire postmark. But being to the south of Sheffield meant that our first stop on the Threads tour would be the tennis court. Yes, that's the Door and Totley Tennis Club, where we see the looters penned up behind the tennis court fence and our scary traffic warden patrolling the perimeter. Brilliant. Get in the car. Google Maps says it's only a seven-minute drive from Holmesfield. So we parked the car and we began walking the steep, winding suburban streets up towards Door and Totley Tennis Club. It was clearly a middle-class, genteel area. And no doubt that's what the film was trying to tell us by setting that horrible scene there. Even in a posh tennis club in a lovely, leafy area, look how quickly it has become a place of brutality. Nowhere is safe. So we walked along peaceful streets uh, with spindly young trees planted in the wide pavements, all of them with um, fluttering tags on them saying, please water me. We walked past detached houses, big gravel driveways, posh cars. And I thought, I'm not going to get anywhere near this tennis club. It's probably behind electric gates to keep riffraff like me out. But come on, all I want is a a pick of the tennis court. Maybe if I ask nicely, explain myself, then maybe some snooty receptionist might let me in. But we didn't have worried. When we arrived at the Doran Totley Tennis Club on Devonshire Road, it was just right there, open to the street. I just walked up an open pathway, and there I was, standing right at the fence where our traffic warden had paraded with his gun. 
And the place was absolutely empty. There was no one in the clubhouse. There was no one on the courts. There was no one to say, "Uh, excuse me, may I ask what you're doing here? So I was free to skip about, taking loads of pics of the tennis club sign, the courts, and I even artfully zoomed in on the fencing surrounding the courts. Was this the very spot where our traffic warden butted the fence with his gun? Well, no, it wasn't, because I was at the wrong tennis court. But let's stop for a drink. Let's go to the Nottingham House pub, Whitham Road, Sheffield. It features a few times in the film, with uh, Ruth and Jimmy drinking there, and of course, Jimmy meeting up with his pal Bob there. And that was where I arranged to meet my hobos. It was only a small group of us, but it's been suggested that I do another one next year, and we can call it Hobocon. In the film, the pub is very dingy and dark. And certainly that's how I remember British pubs being in the 80s, before things like wine bars and hipsters and gastropubs were invented. But the Nottingham House now bears no resemblance to the dingy pub that appears in Threads. Uh, The exterior is the same, looks identical, but inside it's all fresh and painted and lovely, with a fairy-lit beer garden. I liked it. I felt completely at ease there, which I often don't feel in Glasgow pubs. Ah, but let's not blame Glasgow for that. Maybe I just felt more relaxed because I was on a a holiday, I suppose, a working holiday. It was Hobocon. For God's sake, if you can't relax during Hobocon, then when can you? So before I tell you the story of how I got to the wrong tennis court, let's hear from one of our hobos, Sean Judge. I've tried to reduce the sound of the pub background chatter, but I still wanted to keep some of it there for you so you could pick up the atmosphere and feel that you were there with us in the Nottingham House at our very first Hobocon. Okay, and now we have Sean, another um, long-term listener to the podcast and a kind patron of the podcast. So, Sean, could you introduce yourself, tell us where you're from and when you first saw Threads? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Sean Judge. Uh, I live in Eastbourne uh, on the south coast. Um, I saw Threads quite late in life, relatively, to compared to some people. I was 17 uh, and I actually sought it out. Um, so this was 2001, I think. Yeah, 2001. Uh, I, I tend to be attracted to kind of the darker side of life and have an interest in kind of things that some people might find upsetting or disturbing. I like to kind of push myself. Uh, and I remember reading about threads on a list of upsetting films on the Internet Movie Database uh, in the late 90s. Um, and I remember actually trying to seek out a copy and then found a copy on VHS in London. So I went to London and bought this, this video. Brought it back home. I, I remember buying it at the same time I bought Threads on VHS and I bought This Is Spinal Tap on VHS on the same day. Um, and yeah, we came back with my girlfriend at the time, who was a little bit younger than me, uh, 16 or so, I think. And, and we watched it on a Sunday night. And we watched it in the back of our house, quite dark, it was quite late at night. And I remember just being kind of rightly horrified at the whole thing. And she kind of glanced off of it. She didn't really think anything of it. Um, didn't, didn't really respond to it in the same way. And I didn't sleep that night, obviously, as you really. Um, I remember talking to her mum the next day about how the film had affected me. And it was, it was her mum saying, oh yeah, I remember 
us, you know, in the 80s, we had we had a stockpile of tins and stuff like that, and we, we you know, we were aware of something, and that suddenly made it very real. Sorry, bombers just not to paint over in the pub. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. I remember the the statement of her mum being that bit older and saying it was real. That, that suddenly kind of cemented it in my head. It's like, okay, this is something to suddenly be worried about. I don't think I slept about three months after. Yeah. Sean didn't sleep for three months after seeing Threads then. Well, I could hardly sleep either once I'd realised I'd went to the wrong tennis club in Sheffield. In my defence, the film does specifically tell us that we are at Door and Totley Tennis Club. But the scene was actually filmed at Weston Park Tennis Courts. And you can tell this, and maybe some of you know this already, but if you look at the film closely, if you look at the tennis court scene, you can see a strange um, angular building in the background of one of the shots. And it seems that matches up with the University of Sheffield's geography department. And if you look at it on Street View, then yes, you will see that that strange building overlooks a tennis court. So it seems that even though the film tells us we're at Door and Totley Tennis Court, it was actually filmed at Weston Park Tennis Court. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why they portrayed it as one club and filmed in another. Maybe they had permission to film at Door and Totley and had made the necessary preparations, but permission was then withdrawn, perhaps, when they realised they would have loads and loads of filthy threads extras and bandages and parkas trailing all over their courts. Or maybe, as I mentioned earlier, it's because Doran Totley has a certain middle-class, leafy, genteel quality that maybe the other courts don't have. Although, surely that fact would only be known to viewers familiar with Sheffield. OK, I got it wrong. Let's just leave it at that. But if anyone wants to see some uh, <laughs> really nice photos of Doran Totley Tennis Club, a totally random and irrelevant tennis club, then do head over to my Patreon. And if we do HoboCon 2023, then let's all meet up for a drink at Weston Park Tennis Courts. Okay, I think I need a drink now to hide my shame at getting that wrong, so let's go back to the pub. Here I asked Sean if there's a particular scene or moment in Threads which haunts him. We all know what the obvious ones are, of course. Uh, for me, it's... Mrs. Kemp screaming Michael just before the, the bomb bursts. So I asked Sean, is there something else that always snags in your mind and disturbs? And is there a particular scene in the film or a particular image that just sticks in your mind and always disturbs? I mean, there's so many. And I've watched Fred's an awful lot now, so the things that horrified me initially, the kind of the more... Um, Visually upsetting stuff, the more overt stuff doesn't necessarily have the same impact they did when the first watch. You know, people burnt sitting in rubble uh, and, and people suffering from horrific burns it was horrific when I was 17. I've, I've kind of grown to be able to deal with that. But it's the, it's the subtle changes, um, it's, it's the build up more than the attack and the after effects itself that gets me because it, it feels perfectly realistic. Um, I mentioned to you earlier about the, the scene when um, Mr. Beckett's looking at the Protect and Survive uh, information in the, in the paper, and he's, he's kind of, you can see him writing up plans about, about how to deal with it. 
Uh, and Ruth's got morning sickness. Ruth, um, Ruth's mum tries to call in sick and finds out the telephone instead. And you see this look of kind of shock on Ruth's face as she realises that this is suddenly a, a big thing, the telephone's on. And then Mr. Beckett comments, we better be getting the rest of those things down to the cellar now. And the look on her face as she realises that her parents are as scared as she is and are desperately trying to find a way to cope with the situation. It's that loss of the protection that your parents provide you as a child. That, that, that's a turning point, I think, for me, when, when the, when the grown-ups are taking it seriously. It suddenly yeah. becomes a, a, a lot scarier. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said earlier, Sean, that, that the, the first half of the film, the build-up to it, is more unsettling or disturbing than the aftermath, even though the aftermath has the obvious scenes of horror, you know, the charred corpses, etc. But I always find the first half of the film far more disturbing because it's this relentless thing coming that no one has any power to stop. There's not a thing you can do about it. You can read all the little protective survive booklets that you like. You can try and flee as the, um, or what they call, what are the family called to try and flee? The ones with Spot. I don't yeah. know if you know the name. No, I've got the script in my bag. <laughs> I bet you do, yes. So you can try and flee, or you can try, as Mr Kemp does, try and build your little shelter. There's not a thing you can do. And that just horrifies me. It doesn't matter how much money there is in the bank, or how much intelligence you have, or how much preparation you do. You're absolutely helpless. And to me, that's far more terrifying than all the images of, of charred corpses, or people being hanged, or people being shot. So, I think, yeah, I think it's the end game at that point. I think yeah. you, it's also a kind of great equaliser. Yes, you can have a lot of money and have a private bunker, but if Threads does nothing else, it shows that you can be in a bunker and you're still going to die horribly and slowly. Um, the people under the town hall, you know, oh. that's you know they they are in as strong a position as you can be in, in Threads, uh, and they still have a building cut on top of them and suffocate. I think um, there's something very fascinating to me about that, that build-up because uh, it's the human response to such an unimaginable horror. Um, I think I think we actually saw a, a, a smidgen of it with COVID, um, which I think anybody like me and yourself who are interested in this sort of thing probably found some parallels drawn. Um, with things like, you know, toilet roll running out in the shops and the shop yeah. shelves being empty. You know, there's a very there's a very clear scene in Threads where everyone's you know, just stealing the food and running out the supermarket because they've started fighting. Um, That's another great moment when the boy bursts into the supermarket, they started fighting mum, and the mum says, who has? Yeah. As if for a second everything's back to normal, and it's a case of a couple of cousins having a scrap. But yeah. no, it's, it's the ultimate fight. Yeah, and that's it. You, you've got to grab your lighties and run. Yes. Uh, which is also a horror I don't want to think about. Um, yeah, there, there's so many scenes in the film, and it's, it's such. A, I think I think the thing that I love about Fred's, and, and not many people would probably say they love Fred's, um, is that if you take a, a piece of art and if you judge a work of art by its ability to portray its message and to have the impact. I don't think there are many things I can think of that do that quite as successfully as Fred does. Yeah. It's just, it's so uh, surgical in getting its message across. Um, 
and I, I don't think there'll probably be anything like it again actually I think even if they were to remake it I think there'd always be some sort of compromise or some sort of political influence that would um, bond it and I think actually it's a bit of a perfect storm they managed to get away with it in the first place after our visit to the wrong tennis court, I consulted our map and the next Daenerys filming location was Abbeydale Park. And according to Google, it was just a 15 minute walk along these sunny, leafy streets. So let's go. You'll know that Abbeydale Park doesn't directly feature in the film. No, we just hear it on a crackly radio broadcast, ordering the survivors to rendezvous in Abbeydale Park. I'll play it for you here. Well, that's quite sinister, isn't it? And as it was only a short walk away from the Doran Totley Tennis Club, we decided, as they say in the clip, to rendezvous at Abbeydale Park. But that was also a fail, because Abbeydale Park is a private sports club. You can do anything there. You can do rugby, you can do squash, you can do tennis. But you can't just wander in off the street for a nosy because you love threads. And you most certainly cannot take your dog. So again, another fail. But I took some damn good photos of the sign. So we got back into the car and headed north to Rustlings Road, a 12-minute drive. We were due to meet the hobos in the pub at four, so we just had time to stop on Rustlings Road and find Ruth's house, and then go onwards to the pub. Rustlings Road, as you might remember from the film, is a grand street. It overlooks a park in Cliff Park, and the houses are three-storey Victorian villas, very fancy, very posh, very intimidating. We walked up and down Rustling Road a few times, trying to identify which one was Ruth's, but, yes, you've guessed it, we couldn't find it. All the features in the film which make it identifiable, its uh, its unique window frames, uh, the paint colour on the door frame, etc., had long since changed and modernised. It was filmed almost 40 years ago, after all. By now, the time was inching towards four, so we had to get in the car and head to the pub. So I thought, okay, that can be our first topic of conversation. We'll get the drinks in, then discuss the details of Ruth's house. And that is why I'm meeting my hobos. Nowhere else could I sit down in the pub and say, right, everyone, what colour were Ruth's window frames? Do we think we can recognise it? So I thought, if anyone's going to help me identify which one is Ruth's house, it will be the hobos. So let's get to the pub. And I did find it. I found it the next day, thanks to the hobos. But for now, we were back in the car for the short five-minute drive further north to the Nottingham House. And I'll bring you more of our pub chat and Sheffield explorations tomorrow. Uh, Before I go, let me explain why I've been quiet for a few weeks. I think it's been three weeks, maybe four, since I last uploaded a podcast. And it's supposed to be weekly, so I apologise for that. But um, if you follow me on Twitter or are a member of my Patreon, you'll have been kept updated with what's been going on. Um, I don't want to go over it all again, but I suffered a bereavement. 
my gran very very close to me my gran brought me up so there was that awful incident and then of course we were off to Sheffield and then when I came back I had the funeral so yes there has been a gap but hopefully you'll understand why that was and my book has been returned from the copy editor and I now need to check all the edits that the copy editor has made and then it goes off to a proofreader and it will then be sent off to print by the end of the year. So again, I've been keeping everyone up to date with their regular uh, posts on Patreon. If you want to join my Patreon, get access to all these updates, all the chats, all the photographs, and get access to additional podcast episodes, please do look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And let me give a quick thank you to the new patrons that have signed up over the past couple of weeks. Thank you to Adam Isted, Ian McDonald, who just signed up as I was uh, recording this podcast. Thank you, Ian. Malcolm Edison, Lizzie Windrum, Louise Connors, Stuart Ferry. And a thank you to John Coulthard for increasing his pledge. Thank you, John. So I will be back tomorrow with uh, the next part of our special Sheffield episodes. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's something a bit different from the usual. Something a bit more lighthearted, and hopefully that's what's needed just now with how awful the news is. But um, I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you all for listening.